Hey everybody, welcome back to the Palmetto Shores Discipleship Podcast. Uh, this is Morgan Bird. I'm the Associate Pastor and I'm here with Kyle Stewart who just taught us uh, Judges tonight. Uh, we're really sorry that we are just not getting to you. We missed last week's recording, but tonight we're just going to make up for it and combine really from um, chapter 9 all the way to the end of the book of Judges. And so um, we had two great studies, and we're just going to combine them on this one conversation. So uh, where we picked up in chapter 9 is right after the death of Gideon. And we learn about this character named Abimelech, and it's kind of odd. Um, Abimelech is not one of the judges, and in a way, uh, it seems weird that he would be given so much power so much uh, space in the book of Judges. I think there's 57 uh, verses about him in, uh, in this book of the Judges, and yet he's not one of the Judges. And so um, I think what we want to do is just kind of first start by unpacking his brief story, and then maybe just ask, why is he in here? What's the purpose of telling Abimelech's story? So Kyle, um, why don't you just give us like a couple, two or three of the main highlights from Abimelech's life, and then we can maybe discuss what is he doing here in the book of Judges. Yeah, so Abimelech is uh, kind of riding off the coattails of his dad, Gideon, uh, who we learned about last week, that um, Gideon was this kind of great figure, and if you remember, the people wanted to make him and his family royalty, wanted Gideon to be king and bless all his children, and Gideon said, no, like, God is your king, you have to um, give him, you know, all the praise, not, you know, not myself. So Gideon understood that, uh, that God is the king, not, you know, there is no earthly kingdom or need for that. And, uh, Bimelech kind of, uh, went rogue there. Uh, what we see in his story is that, um, he had 30 brothers and he killed them all in order that he would be, um, the one who would kind of come to power. And um, there was one, brother who did escape um, that slaughter, I guess, and um, called out Abimelech and, you know, exposed him for who he was. But um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that Abimelech isn't a judge. Um, he's more of just uh, what a judge isn't. And um, he was full of um, kind of power and power, power hungry and didn't really have any kind of um, uh, sense about him that would bring Israel um, out of oppression, but he was more about um, whatever he had to do to get himself ahead. He was that guy. Hmm. Yeah, man. So, you know, in a minute, we're going to spend, a, there's a couple chapters in Judges on the, the life of Samson, and we can maybe contrast Abimelech and Samson a little bit more. But um, I know one of the, the main things, like you said, is that he presents this almost like a photo negative of what uh, a judge is supposed to be. And um, a couple things that I remember from the story are interesting. One is that he ends up um, you know, trying to become king, but then God is the one who uh, actually foils his plan and turns him and the people in Shechem against one another. And then at the end of his life, you just see like the heart, like his heart of pride uh, come out when um, it says this at the very end of chapter 9, in verse 53 and 54, And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor-bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me. 
lest they say of me, a woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through and he died. And so you just kind of see his pride, like all the way at the very end of his life. Here's a man who's, who he, he know that he was just delivered a fatal blow. He knows that he's about to die. And he doesn't cry out to God. He doesn't ask for forgiveness. He doesn't seek mercy. The last thing he says is, I don't want people to know that I was killed by a woman. And uh, you just see, man, his heart was so corrupt and so opposite of what it, what it looks like to be someone who walks with God and has faith in God. Um, so then from Abimelech, we move to uh, two other judges really quickly um, at the beginning of chapter 10, Tola and Jair. And um, they present, uh, like a couple of the other judges we've seen so far, there's very few details about their life. Uh, it seems that uh, God raises them up uh, during their time of judging, things go well for the people, and that's it. That's pretty much all we get about them. Uh, but the next major judge that we come to is in chapter 11. Uh, we come to, to Jephthah, who is the next major judge. And so um, why don't you just kind of tell us a little bit about him, uh, who he was, and why he's important. So Jephthah was... Um kind of a outcast, if you would say. Um, a few notes about him just there in the first paragraph of uh, chapter 11 that um, his, he, one, was a mighty warrior, which sounds great, but then it says, but he was a son of a prostitute. And from there, we just see him uh, get outcast by his own family, that he didn't have an inheritance from his father's house, that he was a son of another woman, and they sent him out. And uh, we get that same sense um, almost like a flashback back to uh, Joseph in Genesis where his family outcast him and uh, he got sold into slavery into Egypt and um, and then uh, what we know from Joseph is that he turned around and Joseph was um, kind of like a, a deliverer for Israel during the during the plague or during the time of um, uh, harvesting and what we know about um, Jephthah is that um, when the oppression from the Ammonites came, they recalled that uh, Jephthah was a mighty warrior, and they ended up calling him back. And so uh, it's kind of a, a funny story there that the man that they exiled and sent out and said, you know, you you don't belong here, now they're calling him and saying, we need you to deliver us from from our enemy. And um, Jephthah being, of course, called by God, um, being the only way that he would ever say yes to that request. Um, I mean, that's just, it's mind-boggling to me that um, he would, you know, do that. So um, Jephthah agrees that he will help out and uh, deliver them from the hand of the Ammonites. And uh, we see them um, kind of have this uh, back and forth discussion on, you know, whose land is this actually? Uh, that's Jephthah, you know, talking with the king of the Ammonites. And um, as we kind of get a flashback to, you know, even Exodus, uh, the land was given to Israel by God. And so there, there really is no argument there that um, the Ammonites have any claim to the land, but it, it's, it is Israel's. And by the end, Jephthah gets... Um, about to go into the battle and he uh, makes this extra um, vow to the Lord that he will offer a burnt 
offering of whatever is the first thing that he sees come out of his home or his door when he gets home. And uh, it's a, a useless vow that really didn't need to even be made because God had already ordained for the victory of them um, to take this land. And we kind of get a, a lack of faith image here from Jephthah that he says, you know, if you deliver these people into our hands that um, whatever comes out of my front door, the first thing I see, I will offer as a burnt sacrifice. And unfortunately, it ends up being his one and only child and daughter that uh, comes out and he's just immediately in distress. And um, we see that uh, Jephthah is a humble and obedient man to the Lord because he does follow through with his vow. But uh, we just see this, um, this vow that almost was like an extra thing that um, he thought he could offer to the Lord um, for their salvation in that. But uh, what we know is that the Lord had already ordained for them to take this land. And unfortunately, um, Jephthah made an extra vow that really didn't need to happen. And uh, we see just how dangerous that can be when we try to negotiate with God and um, work things in the way that we want them to work rather than trusting that he's already done what we need for us. Yeah, man, you know what makes Jephthah such an interesting character to me, but also um, in a way kind of helps us understand the whole theme of the book of Judges. One is, if you read through chapter 11, you realize that Jephthah is a guy that knew his Bible. He understood uh, the history of Israel. Uh, he recounts like in great detail uh, things that happened in uh, Exodus and, and other books of the Bible. And then down in verse 27, when he's talking to the Ammonites, he actually says, um, the Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. So on the one hand, like this seems to be a guy who trusts God, who knows God, who, who loves God's word. And yet the way this story ends in the tragedy of it um, and the way it begins in the tragedy of it with him being uh, born of a prostitute and then kind of cast away from his family, but then brought back. Like, to me, it really resonates with one of the themes of Judges, which is God working out his purpose through messy people. Like, it just seems like um, none, of these, none of these judges are Jesus. None of these judges are perfect. None of these judges are sinless. Um, and yet God still uses them, even though there's lots of, at times, tragedy, at times, sin, at times, suffering, at times, just mess in their lives. Um, and that seems to me to be a theme that we've seen pop up again and again and again as, as we work through this book. And it's a theme that we're going to see uh, again in the life of Samson. Now, before we get to Samson in uh, chapter 13, there's three more uh, quick judges. You've got Ibsen, Elon, and Abdon in chapter 12. And their stories are very similar to Tola and Jair. Um, they each get a couple verses. They just tell us like, hey, here were these judges. They were raised up. Uh, it seems like they, they were blessed. They had a, an abundance of family and, and possessions. And Israel seemed to be doing well when they were in control. Um, but then we're led to our final judge in chapter 13, Samson. And Samson takes up 
from chapters 13 to chapter 16. And there's so many awesome details, so many cool stories. Like if you don't, if you don't really remember anything else about the book of Judges, people tend to remember uh, Gideon and then they tend to remember Samson. And so let's just go through and, and highlight a few of these major scenes from Samson's life and then maybe try to draw some, you know, some, some application at it for our lives. And then we'll turn and look at that last section of the book of Judges. So Kyle, what are some of the major scenes in the life of Samson that it's, it's worth noting? Yeah, so right off the bat, we got just the birth story of Samson that he gets a whole birth narrative, which is very rare um, for anybody in Scripture. We get very few of those uh, narratives, but Samson gets a whole birth narrative that's so similar to other areas we see in the Bible as well, um, that an angel came to the mother and told them that, or told her that she would have a child and uh, then came back again and told uh, the mother and the father and um you know just like any good person they're gonna question you like what what is about to happen like why are we about to get a child and what are we supposed to do with this child and um it's clear that god has ordained for samson to be a deliverer for israel um against the philistines that um that this angel of the lord uh comes to them and explains to them that you know, this child is, is going to um, uh, lead that charge against the Philistines. Um, but they get some um, uh, some instructions along with it that, you know, don't um, have any strong drink or drink of the vine or have wine or anything. And don't let a razor touch um, his head. And we see that uh, through his life, they're obedient um, to that, uh, to that uh, calling that the angel told them. And um, uh, it just sets up for Samson's um, strength that we'll see later uh, through the passages. But um, we just see that the family is obedient um, to the angel of the Lord and their, his instructions. And it's just a clear calling that, uh, that God called Samson to this um, kind of this role at this time. Yeah, man, I think this is a good point. Um, you mentioned like the birth narrative and everything to just go ahead and bring Abimelech back up. So at a couple points here, we want to almost use Abimelech as a contrast for Samson. And I think right here at the very beginning, we're seeing that Samson was clearly called by God. Um, the reason that he gets put in the position of leadership and to be a judge for Israel was because God had called him and set him apart from birth. Whereas when Abimelech tried to take leadership, it was all of his own will. Like he just he just tried to take hold of the throne on his own and to gain power on his own. And uh, in a way, that's like sounds so obvious that that's like not right. But yet, so many times I see myself more in Abimelech, where like I'm not willing to wait on the Lord. I'm not willing to trust his timing, uh, and I'm not willing to believe that um, that I ha I am called to be who God has called me to be, not who I necessarily want to be. And so right here from the birth of Samson, we see just a stark contrast to Abimelech as God shows up and clearly calls Samson to, to be this leader and to be this judge to help and save Israel. Um, all right, so what's the next 
big scene that you think is important for understanding Samson's life? Yeah, definitely chapter 14. Uh, we get uh, this, uh, I guess, pretty, um, I don't know if it's popular or not, but this idea of Samson that he um, chooses a Philistine as a wife, which is really why Israel is kind of in the trouble they're in, is that they've co-inhabited and um, intermarried and assimilated to this pagan culture. And Samson, who's called by God, has chosen a Philistine as a wife. Um, but we see that he's, uh, he's got a plan that he did it for. He was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Um, in verse 4, we see that. And um, it's kind of just a humorous story as well that he's just on his way down um, with his mother and father to go uh, see a new wife and uh, he kills a lion and then uh, just you know ca like a casual passing of that story just you know he casually killed a lion and moved forward and um, on the way back uh, there was honey growing inside of the carcass and uh, with the bees and um, he creates this riddle that uh, he was going to use against the Philistines that if in seven days nobody could uh, explain the answer to the riddle then he would um, take the clothing of 30 of them and uh, he'd be rewarded in that and uh, unfortunately his new wife the Philistine wasn't very faithful to him and so uh, she convinced him by the seventh day of the feast that uh, she got him to explain the answer to the riddle and of course she goes back to her people and gives him the answer and he has to uh, fork over the uh, 30 articles of clothing to these to the winners of this uh, riddle and uh, still he kills 30 Philistines for that so he still um, attacks Philistines and takes their own clothing and gives it to these winners but it's important it's an important story because it kind of um, spirals out some other um, events that happen later in other chapters but um, in this one it is important because uh, we see Sam Samson's uh, humanity that he is uh, valuable he's not God but uh, he still is obedient and wants to serve God uh, he just is still susceptible to sin but um, we get that picture as um, he uh, not only loses the bet but he also loses his wife as it's given to uh, his best man um, after this yeah, man, I know, too, in chapter 14, uh, it's at least twice, maybe three times, there's this phrase, uh, the Spirit of the Lord rushed on upon him. And, um, you know, if we were just making another contrast here between um, Samson and Abimelech. So uh, Abimelech, he grabbed at power. Samson was called by God. And now what we're seeing is that Samson was... Uh, in a way, he was being led by the Holy Spirit. Like a lot of the things that he's do he does in his life, he does because God is working through the power of the Holy Spirit. Whereas Abimelech was clearly living according to the flesh. Uh, he wasn't following the Spirit of God. He was doing what seemed right in his own eyes. He was being selfish. And so even though this is a messy, this, a messy life story, Samson's life story is messy, uh, once again, that theme keeps popping up. God uses messy people. God, um, God, God is willing and able to use even sinful people as a part of His 
uh, greater plans and uh, working out his purposes in the world. Um, all right, so uh, what's next in the life of Samson? We've got a couple other things that, are, that jump out to us about his life. Yep, and then uh, we see that uh, as Samson goes to meet with his wife again, his father-in-law doesn't let him, and so it kind of creates a situation where Samson um, out um, kind of outlashes, and he uh, gets 300 foxes and ties their tails together and lights them on fire and sends them into their harvest and their wheat and destroys, you know, everything that they have there, and um, as retaliation for the Philistines they end up killing the wife and the father-in-law and then that sends Samson back into retaliation mode and he um, ends up uh, destroying or killing um, a thousand men with a a donkey jaw and uh, it just keeps from there um, it just keeps uh, spiraling out of control and then uh, we just see how uh, Samson, again, as a sinful man, um, goes into uh, a, uh, a prostitute's house. And um, then later um, we see him with Delilah, who is his uh, new wife. And um, we just see how Samson uh, is still working under the guidance of God. Um, to do things uh, that will eventually lead to the salvation of Israel, uh, but it's not a clean road, like you said. It's it's a messy road. Um, he's a sinful man. He um, chooses uh, hard circumstances, uh, but he's not doing it in vain, really. Um, so we kind of get another scenario here where there's a dialogue between the wife and the Philistines and Samson where um, uh, his where Delilah comes and says, you know, what is it that's your weakness? And uh, Samson kind of just brushes her off and gives her these fake answers over and over again until uh, Samson really just gets, you know, tired of it, I guess. He ends up telling the real, the real uh, weakness that he has, which is that you know, no razor has ever touched his head, which is where he draws his strength from. And um, as the Philistines came to um, to take Samson, um, his head had been shaved and lost all his power, and the Lord left him at that time, uh, or for a period of time. And he was had his eyes, eyes gouged out and uh, brought into uh, captivity of the Philistines and... Um, and then from there, uh, the, the Spirit of the Lord came back upon him, and uh, he was able to uh, knock the pillars down that were kind of like the load-bearing for this house, and he ended up killing more people that day, more Philistines than he had in his life kind of all together. So um, we still get that picture that he was being used by God and delivers him from, uh, from that oppression. But it's not a clean story. It's not a pretty one. Um, there's a lot of uh, deception, lots of arrogance, but um, he still is uh, obedient to uh, sharing, or he's obedient to uh, being the hand of God in this in this time. Um, 
it's just a clear, it's a good picture of, um, of dirty people still being used by God. And it, it gives us hope as well, but, um, it is, uh, it's, it is interesting to see how, uh, how Samson, unlike Abimelech, um, still succeeded, even though, um, they both were sinners. Samson was guided and directed by God through the end, while Abimelech was clearly, you know, rejected by God and told not he would not, you know, thrive in or, or uh, um, be successful in delivering Israel. Yeah, man, I think you saying that, you know, it makes me want to clarify something. You know, what we've been saying about God using messy people is true. But I think the danger in reading a book like Judges and particularly reading and talking about a guy like Samson is that we can maybe almost somehow glorify the messiness or make that the the grand theme uh, of the story. And I should say that in a way, God using messy people is like a minor theme uh, to the, the major theme is God's faithfulness. I know twice uh, back in chapter 15 when um, Samson like was going to die from thirst. In verse 18, it says, And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord. And then again, at the very end of his life, um, when, uh, when he was there between the pillars with his eyes, eyes gouged out as a prisoner, in, in chapter 16, verse 28, it says, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And so, uh, just to be clear, it is true that God uses messy people, but uh, we don't want to glorify the messiness. We don't want to make that the main the main theme. The main theme is God's faithfulness. The main theme, and really what makes the difference between someone like Abimelech and someone like Samson, is at the end of the day, even though Samson is a sinner, just like Abimelech, Samson is showing faith in God. He's calling out to God. He's asking God for help. And even at the end of his life, remember the last thing that Abimelech said was, I don't want to be known for being killed by a woman. Whereas the last thing that Samson says is, um, Lord, please remember me and give me strength. And so just there, the way they end, even though they, they both are sinners, the way they end, one dies uh, in pride and in self-sufficiency, the other one dies in faith and in trust in a faithful God. And so um, that wraps up the end of the life of Samson, and it leads us to the last uh, section of the book of Judges, chapters 17 uh, through 21, where um, we see a couple stories, uh, or it's really one long story, but why don't you just Give us kind of a brief overview. What really ties the thread together of this last section? There's no more judges to talk about. Uh, we've already covered all the judges, but we have these last couple chapters for a reason. And so what is the main thread that's tying chapters 17 through 21 together? Yeah, so we see really um, this picture. If you get this uh, uh, verse um, in... a uh, especially chapter 18, um, verse 1, or even before that, chapter chapter 17, verse 6, 18, 1. 
in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, that theme spreads through these last four chapters a lot that um, it was really kind of a free-for-all. It's setting up this time before the monarchies established in Samuel and um, that these that the Israelites had no structure. They had no leader or anybody guiding them. Um, they were just doing what was good in their own eyes and what they thought was good. And, of course, people doing what is good in their own eyes is um, not usually going to be God-glorifying. And we see that as um, even people with good intentions um, or what would seem like good intentions um, are at, are not. I mean, they're evil. They're, um, then we get people who should have good intentions but are just plain evil. And um, there is no absolute truth there. It is um, whatever is good in your own eyes you can do, and that just leads to chaos. I mean, we see that in our world today. We see that in Scripture that uh, with no absolute truth at all in the free-for-all, there is um, just nothing. There's It's chaos. And so for Israel during these four, last four chapters, um, it just shows... Uh, sinful humanity. It shows that uh, we have to have something to rely on. We have to have some solid rock in order to have an operating society that doesn't just implode or destroy itself. And so, unfortunately, Israel had no leader. They had no leader, or they had no king because they didn't accept God as their king uh, during this time, really. They um, didn't, they wanted an earthly king. They wanted some kind of earthly monarchy, but um, they didn't have one. And it just showed how um, this cycle of sin that they have uh, destroyed themselves. They, they find themselves in civil war. They find themselves um, turning against each other, not able to fulfill what God has called them to do. And um, it's just a sad story of, um, of misled people because they haven't, uh, followed uh, the Lord. Hmm. Yeah, man. And then that, that verse you read in chapter 17 ends up getting repeated as the very last verse of the book of Judges. Uh, Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, uh, we're not going to take the time to tra- trace you through the entire rest of the story of the Bible, uh, but Judges does set up well uh, the next book that starts first and second Samuel and and then it gets into first and second Kings where where there are there is there are kings that come and go in the life of Israel. but as we see time and time again, um, those kings never really satisfy uh, what we need as humans to flourish, right We were made to live under the reign of God. we were made to live under his leadership. And as long as we're all doing our own thing, uh, life's going to fall apart. Uh, But then, uh, I just want to read this one verse in, or two verses in Mark chapter 1. It says in Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so when Jesus arrives... As the Messiah, he arrives as a king. He arrives as the king who uh, we long for, who we need, who 
um, we find life as we submit to him, as we turn, repent from following our own way and put our trust in, in him. And so, I don't know, man, as we wrap up, um, as we wrap up, what, what do you think it would look like? What, what will it mean for us to put our faith in Jesus as our king? I mean, in a way, we've been using the word judge throughout uh, the book of Judges because um, they weren't technically kings. But they were, like as we said at the beginning, they weren't technically judges either. They weren't really the kind of judges like you and I think of when we think of judges who are sitting down and um, you know, deciding between cases. They were a lot more like kings. They were warriors. They were rulers um, that, that who, were, who were sent to save the people. So what would it mean for us to put our trust in King Jesus as opposed to putting our trust in any other uh, ruler, authority, or even ourselves? So I don't know. What, what might that look like? Yeah, to put our trust in King Jesus that um, he is the ultimate sacrifice for for our sin he was the atonement and um that we don't have to uh make like meaningful vows and sacrifices like we saw with jephthah and um we don't have to wander around without any kind of direction but um to let jesus be our our king let him let him guide us let us be directed um under the counsel of the holy spirit that we don't have to just flounder around and wonder, but there's um, a clear um, direction in which we uh, seek to worship God, and it's not um, our own truths or it's not what we want, but uh, it's it's what He wants and uh, is perfect, and we don't have to have that um, that stress or the the anxiety of um, of anything you know just life throws at us I mean we're going to have those struggles but uh, to know that we have uh, eternal lives sealed and uh, ready for us through Jesus then uh, making him the king of our life will uh, return much more um, I guess efficient and um, joyful and um, just provide that uh that sense of um of uh peace that we get from god so um i don't know if that answers your question but um yeah choosing jesus as our as our king um far outweighs anything we could uh have ourselves um in our own efforts or work mm-hmm. yeah man it, no it absolutely does and it it honestly reminds me, as you were talking just now, it reminded me of something you said tonight about Samson. You mentioned that Samson is a type of Christ. In other words, he points forward. There are there are vague images in in Samson that point us towards Jesus. And um, when I think about Samson, at the end of his life, he was willing to sacrifice himself. But when he sacrificed himself, he did it to, to kill his enemies. Uh, king Jesus, the heart of our king, is that he sacrificed himself to save his enemies, people that hated him, people that had turned against him, people that had sinned against him. Those are the people that Jesus laid down his life for. And so you're not going to find a better ruler. You're not going to find a better king. You're not going to find someone who is both powerful enough to, to conquer your enemies, powerful enough to save you, but also um, 
merciful enough to welcome his own enemies and to, and to save people who'd rebelled against him. And so um, as we've gone through Judges, I think we've seen God's faithfulness and we've seen how God raises up uh, a Savior time and time again. He raises up these little saviors to save Israel and how that points forward to our great need for the final Savior, Jesus, who came and, and saves us from our sin. And so uh, we've really enjoyed going through the book of Judges. We're super excited already for um, in March. We're going to be doing another Sunday seminar going through the book of First Thessalonians. So we're going to hop over to the New Testament for four Sunday nights in, in March. And so if you want to come out and join us, we'll be here. And we'll look forward to hopping back on and recording these podcasts as well to follow up with you guys. So thanks for tuning in with us. We pray that, that this serves you well, that this will just get you into your Bible and get you reading more and seeing that if we just slow down, read the Word, and listen to what God has to say, um, God will speak to us through His Word and, and change our lives through it. So thanks for giving us your time, and uh, we'll look forward to jumping back in, with, in, in, in the month of March with you guys.